Hello, goodbyes. This is Rose. Um, we're just popping this message into the beginning of the episode to note that some of the information we talk about is a little bit outdated because we recorded this episode, I think back in April, three to four months ago. Um, we're running behind in our production schedule as everything is on fire and there's a ton of important stuff going on in the world right now. Um, just warning you that there may be some references that are extremely out of date. We hope everyone is staying safe, wearing a mask. If you're eligible to vote, please register to vote, request your mail-in ballot, and send it in as soon as humanly possible. Um, if you are not in a state that offers mail-in voting, please check and see if your state offers early voting and do so. Um, we also hope people are being safe as they continue to demand accountability and justice of uh, Sergeant Jonathan Mattingly and Officers Brett Hankinson and Miles Cosgrove, the police who murdered Breonna Taylor, as well as demanding justice from numerous other officers around the country who have committed atrocities. Thank you to everyone who's out there and keep fighting, complete your census. Go vote. Hi, I'm Rose, and my pronouns are she and her. And hi, I'm Annie, and my pronouns are she and her as well. And we're here to provide some context about the bisexual experience by sharing stories, getting advice, and talking to queer people we like. We have a guest today. Audrey, do you want to introduce yourself? Yes. Hi. Um, my name is Audrey. I currently live in Corvallis, Oregon. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. And I'm really excited to be talking to y'all today. I also just realized I should have got a bio for you to be like, Audrey is a writer based in Corvallis, Oregon, who writes nonfiction and true crime and is a badass mofo. Oh, thanks. I think that's all accurate except for the last part. <laughs> <laughs> Own it, Audrey. We've crowned you with this title. I appreciate that. I'm gonna I'm gonna do my best every day to live up to that. It's gonna take yeah. a lot of work. I think you should add it to the top of uh, your CV where it's just like, yep, and also badass mofo. Kind of like Kevin G in Mean Girls when like his whole business card is is Kevin Napore, badass MC slash mathlete <laughs> or something. Yeah. yeah, it's me, Kevin G. That's that's what's going to go on the inside of the, the book jacket, right? Like the back of the book jacket where it has your photo where you're like, you've got your hand on your chin and you're like staring into the camera. Yeah, and it'll just have like as my bio that whole rap that he does at the, yeah. at the talent show <laughs> and like cuts off when uh, when they make him get off stage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Principal Duvall. Love that guy. How does it go? It's like. I'm Kevin DePore. I make love to you woman on the bathroom floor. Something, something. You know it's me. Because she'll be like, oh, Kevin G. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Speaking of some queer shit related to Mean Girls, I um, recently, well, can I? Well, all right. So RuPaul's Drag Race. Love RuPaul's Drag Race. The second most recent episode they had they did the snatch game for season 12 always my favorite episode i got so pissed this time though because they had and i don't know the actors names 
but they had Damien from Mean Girls come and judge Snatch Game, and they, instead of having Janice come with him, they had Aaron Samuels. I'm like, why the hell, RuPaul? Who signed off on this? Like, I started Googling, like, is Lizzie Kaplan dead? Because I was like, (laughs) that is the only reasonable explanation to have Damien and Aaron fucking Samuels as the judges of Snatch Game. What the hell were you thinking, Ru? Anyway. That's so funny. I also watched that episode and it didn't even occur to me. I was like, oh, Mean Girls, cool. But yeah, that would have that would have made way more sense to have Lizzie Kaplan on. You know, um, is is Lizzie Kaplan bi? That's my question now. I would. I think the answer is no because when we were talking about True Blood a few weeks ago, yep. uh, I don't remember if I sent you the link or not because I was trying to find the scene where Lizzie Kaplan is having sex because I was like. Yeah, moments I should have known mm. there was some queer shit going on. Um, but I think it was actually a Pornhub link. And I was like, I don't know how I feel about sending this to the group chat. Like That seems like that's like really taking your group chat to the next level. Yeah, when you're, like, when you're sharing porn. Yeah, but if I if if she's by and I didn't come across that in my uh, in-depth research, I'm going to be my my lit review. <laughs> I'm going to be upset. There's not a there's there is an article called How Mean Girls is Janice Ian Sparked My Sexual Awakening. That's neither here nor there. <laughs> For me it wasn't it wasn't uh Janice Ian, though I feel like she should have helped. But um for me it was Asmarie Livingston from America's Next Top Model who also dated like Raven Simone for a while. Whoa. Hold on. I also have to I have to look this person up. Oh, Asmarie. yeah. Yep. I just, yeah. I'm gonna, wait, How? what's the name? Asmarie, A-Z-M-A-R-I-E, Livingston. Oh, yeah, okay. Asmarie was, like, a big deal to me. It's like, a deeply closeted, I said that weird, closeted 19-year-old. <laughs> you said it from inside the closet that's still <laughs> a little bit inside of you. <laughs> Yeah, I super did. Um, yeah, I just remember, like, I was an RA that year. That was the year, yeah, that was the year before Annie, you and I started hanging out. And I was an RA. And, um, yeah, I had, like, really short hair and wore, like, my whole wardrobe was, like, white V-necks and basketball shorts. And somehow I still didn't know, you know. <laughs> like, I didn't know. I had a boyfriend, even, at the time. Um, and he's cool. We're 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 really good friends still, but yeah, um, it was really interesting because do you remember from the writing center? <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I like went to talk to and identifies as um, a lesbian and is n- now married to one of our friends from Iowa, and um, she was like oh like listening to me like talk about my boyfriend and then at one point or like later that year I came out and I was like yeah no I'm I'm bisexual and she was like yep you know I saw you in your basketball shorts and your v-necks and your in your short hair and I was like does your boyfriend know how you feel about women (laughs) and so yeah that was 
that was a thing. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like other people can see it so well and you're still like, nope, just real straight here, just hanging out. I had a, a friend who is a lesbian uh, and I was telling her about my boyfriend and she was like, but do you ever think maybe you want to date women? Like, give that a try. And like, she was in a relationship, so it wasn't, it wasn't like maybe me. I don't like. It was just like, do you, do you think? I was do like, you ever think about that? I don't know, but maybe I should think about it. It's like when you're closing a Word doc, and it's like, are you sure? <laughs> you know. <laughs> I wish Clippy would have come out and been like, "Are you sure you want to say you're definitely straight?" <laughs> it seems like you're trying to come out a little bit. <laughs> Can I help you with that? It seems like you're trying to come out. <laughs> like a red squiggly line underneath, like hetero. You know, you need to correct it. Yeah. So good. Yeah, I uh, I guess I was the most extreme example of this where I was sleeping with a woman and still like, I'm straight though, which I have talked about at length. <laughs> yes, you have. I, yeah, I heard that. Like, I listened to the first two and yeah, I like heard some things that I remembered like being around for and I was like oh here we go (laughs) so yeah Audrey and I uh hung out a lot in college we were good friends I think starting my junior senior year senior year for you yeah we didn't we were in a writing class together a deeply formative one at that yeah yeah, a great writing class taught by Carrie Howley, a wonderful author. I feel like we didn't really talk at length until the next year. Yeah, I think we weren't friends until the next year. I, I remember thinking that. you were really cool, but we just like, we didn't really, we didn't kick it until until we had the same internship, the same writing center, or no, the same writing fellows gig. And yep. we were in... What class were we in together? Spanish. Spanish, yeah. Comics, Comics! Right? Oh, Tira Comicas. That was so, that was amazing with Ana Marino, who is also a wonderful, wonderful person <laughs> and very hot. <laughs> so. Audrey, do you want to tell a little bit about your coming out story? Or if that's like not what you want to do, that's also cool? Uh, yeah, I'm from North Carolina, which is an important fact to know. Just that I'm, like, I grew up in the South, and, like, that was... uh, While my parents are Midwesterners, I was just raised very much in that culture, and I'm also a preacher's kid. Um, My father is a Methodist minister, um, and he now uh, preaches for a church that is um, part of what's called, like, the reconciling community, and I don't love that term for it, but basically in Methodism and in some other denominations as well, but what that means is that they are welcoming to the LGBT community and um, LGBT folk can have lay pastor positions and that kind of thing. Um, There was a, there was a a really controversial vote that happened last year. in the Methodist church because, you know, right now they're the United Methodist Church and that's like international, like there are congregations really all over the world. 
and um, some of the more conservative uh, groups within uh, the United Methodist Church voted against um, LGBT inclusion in, in the church space. Uh, my earliest like memory of having queer feelings was um, in third grade when the Spy Kids movie came out. Um, I was very into Alexa Vega. Uh, I recently watched Spy Kids again, and I'm like, wow, this Alexa Vega is a is a child. But then again, so was I. So yeah. I just want to be clear that I was eight years old <laughs> or nine or whatever when I found. This was a peer crush. Right. It very much was. And that's what I tried to convince myself. I was like, okay, I'm my heart is going pitter-pat. Like, I'm feeling feelings. This is weird. Do I want to be her friend? Is that what this is? And I was like, okay, that's what it is. I really just want to be her friend. And then sometimes I'd be like, no, it's not that. It's that I want to be her, you know? And then and then that wouldn't really work out. And I would kind of just like go back and forth between those two things to kind of justify, I guess, or erase some of those feelings, repurpose them. <laughs> I don't know. Um, and like make sense of them to myself and... uh yeah, I mean, I I had a thing for, like, long, dark hair at the time, because I also really liked Angelina Jolie, and at one point, I just, like, swore off the Tomb Raider movies because I was like, I can't watch this without feeling these feelings that make me so uncomfortable and make me ask questions to myself, like, do I want to be her? Do I want to, like, be friends with her? Or do I want to, like, make out with her? So, yeah. Um, but it's like, can't you just braid her hair? Like, mm-hmm. why define it? Right, yeah. Why? I mean, you know, I was a big fan of labels, apparently, as a third grader. I wanted to just fit in a box. Because you're told to. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. It it does. So, yeah, I remember, like, um, I had to go to a uh, sexuality seminar that was put on by my church, um, which was not the church where my dad uh, was preaching at the time, but was the one where I was baptized. And so, and I was still like connected to that one because basically my dad's church where he was preaching, it was a lot of old people and there wasn't a whole lot of, like, there wasn't a whole lot of like, there weren't a whole lot of youth activities. And so we still stayed pretty connected to the church where I was baptized and where my brother was baptized so that we could have, um, you know, like youth Christian experiences or whatever and go to a really long sexuality seminar that we had to go to twice once in fourth grade and once in like seventh grade maybe um and it was like a weekend thing it was so bad because it was like Friday night like all day Saturday and I think after church on Sunday it was super long and we had to just like sit around and talk about sex and I remember they gave us this book and it was like, I don't, I wish I knew what the title was. I don't remember. Oh my God, I bet it's hysterical. And I remember like, there was one page with like the bolded word homosexuality <laughs> up at the top. And I was like, all right, here we go. I, I want to know about this. And basically it had the whole philosophy of like, it is okay to have these feelings However, God does not want you to act on them. And I was like, 
all right, we're done. Like, you know, so <laughs> cleared that up. <laughs> cleared that up. Uh, can't, um, can't braid Alexa Vega's hair now. Um, or Angelina Jolie. Can't have either of them. Sad day. Um, oh. And so <laughs> I, I remember being like, I don't know, having some confusing feelings about that. And I had two really good friends at the time, one of whom uh, is like still my friend today and is like very much like a a liberal person from a liberal family. Her family has like always been very into like supporting the LGBT community, even though uh, none of them identify as part of that community. But um, then I had this other friend who was from, is from like a very uh, conservative background. She um, ended up being a debutante. I went to her debutante ball. Wow. And for some ungodly reason I chose the latter friend to come out to I was like I was like bleep that out I think I might be homosexual (laughs) and that was the word that I used because I didn't know that there were like things in between or like being bi or queer um and she was like never speak of this again and I was like okay so I proceeded not to speak of it for nine years um, and then I also remember, like, the Bible that we got from, uh, our confirmation class, uh, <laughs> and this was at the church with all the old people, um, I got a Bible, my dad gave me this Bible, and he's apologized for this since, because he didn't know, like, how messed up that Bible was, but basically it was, like, the teen guides to God, or, or the teen's guide to God, it was the teen guide to God, and it was, like, there were, like, there was, like, this advice column where God was, like, responding to, like, advice <laughs> requests. God, right? Like, in, in big old quotation mark. And um, it was, and there was this one, it was this girl, I think her name was, like, Tara or something. I mean, she was fake, right? But, like, it was, like, Tara, comma, 15. And Tara, comma, 15 was, like, I have a crush on this girl in my math class. She's so pretty. God, what do I do? And God's, like you're allowed to have feelings about the girl in the math class, but you can't act on them. Hell, fire, brimstone. And I was like, all right. There was also another one about, like, about uh, teen pregnancy. And it was this other girl. I think her name was, like, Sarah or Sam or something. Anyway, Sam, comma, 16, was like, uh, you know, I got pregnant. I, I broke my vow to you, oh, God, because I had sex with some guy from my math class. I don't know. Um, math class was popping, apparently. And um, and God was like, well, you should have this baby. You should put the baby up for adoption, and then you can pledge to a second virginity. And I was like, I don't I don't think that's how that works. You know? <laughs> like, um, I mean, I was like, hey, yeah, that, that seems a little suspect. But anyway, so... That that was a lot of my childhood, and basically I didn't, I didn't really, I didn't come out again to someone besides the aforementioned debutante until I was 19, 20, and I was at uh, University of Iowa, sophomore year, I had just broken up with my boyfriend, um, and I, I got really drunk with my mom on, like, we both drank an entire bottle of white wine. Um, and now I can't drink white wine anymore because of this. <laughs> and I was like, Mom, I really like this this 
model from America's Next Top Model. Her name's Asmarie Livingston, and she's gorgeous. And my mom was like, gotcha. Do you like women? And I was like, yeah, I do. She was like, I always knew. And I was like, I don't know that you did, but okay. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> um, and then I didn't come out to my dad until I was 20. Um, and it was like October of my junior year that had just started. And I like, it was over the phone because they were in North Carolina and I was in Iowa. And basically I, I was like, yeah, you know, I have something I need to tell you. I'm bisexual. And my dad knew this already because my mom had told him as, as moms do, I guess. And, um, but his response was, well, you know what my orientation is? And I was like, I think so. And he was like, my orientation is to be your dad. And I was like, oh (laughs) my God. (laughs) Um, so it was like really sweet, but it was also just kind of like, you know, it was very dad joke. Um, and then, you know, I had some like weirdness with my family in terms of coming out and it had more to do with me suddenly talking about this queer culture that I was now a part of. Um, because I remember I came home that year for Thanksgiving, like a month later or whatever. And, um, I feel like, I feel like the gay, queer, whatever experience, like always involves Thanksgiving. Like don't at me, but also like, I really think so. Um, Anyway, so I went home for Thanksgiving, and I was talking about going to drag shows and hanging out with Annie and, like, um, you know, going to see burlesque and, like, just being really, uh, really excited to be part of this culture that I didn't identify as being part of until quite recently. And my dad, I don't really remember what he said, but he said something pretty hurtful to the effect of, like, I don't really want to know who you're sleeping with. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not sleeping with anyone, like... (laughs) that's not what's going on here I'm just telling you about this experience um of just being a queer person in the world who is finding her people um right and so I was I was pretty upset with him and we didn't talk for like a month but then he took me out to breakfast at IHOP um which was a good move dad and he apologized which you know I thought was I don't know it was a good moment for us I think and um, yeah, and I mean, I was in a very long-term relationship, serious, very long-term. I was in a serious relationship with a woman, um, like, during our family reunion, most recent family reunion, and I brought her to that, and everybody was fine with that except for my uncle, who is a Tea Party Republican, and that's fine. Yeah, that you're never going to get that one. Now you can always count on a Tea Party Republican to to really uh, be the shit at the family reunion. Uh, yep, exactly, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Was do you remember when you first like, like what your perception of the term bisexual was before you started using it yourself? That's a really good question. Thank you. <laughs> I just I just remember being like very much a rule follower like I was very much like somebody who um well and like part of it was like I went to a school where we had an honor code and we it was a religious school we had an honor code and we like signed the honor code and put it on the altar 
in blood, yes, and put it on the <laughs> altar in front of God and everyone, you know. So, I mean, obviously, like, being queer has nothing to do with the honor code necessarily, but, like, it was just a very rule-centered uh, culture, I guess, that mm-hmm. I was living in. And so I always, I guess I always thought of, like, bisexual people as people who were breaking the rules, and I didn't mm-hmm. want to be a person who broke the rules. Uh, right. And that's really, like, the only... That's really the only memory I have of, like, being a kid and hearing that word and having some kind of opinion about it. But, um, yeah, and it's not it's not really a term that I use for myself very much anymore. I tend to like queer because um, I feel like it's kind of noncommittal, um, help you with your career, just a little hashtag, <laughs> so we love you. But, yeah, I mean, I kind of just feel like it covers a lot of a lot of identities, um, which of course it does. And also, I don't know, like for a while I like identified as a lesbian exclusively. And then I, uh, inexplicably, inexplicably fell in love with my, um, 48 year old professor (laughs) who was a guy. (laughs) Um, and then I was like, Oh, this is weird. He thinks I'm a lesbian. And so did I. It, It happens. It happens. Yeah, and now I'm just kind of like, I do what and whom I choose, and whoever consents to this, obviously. <laughs> yeah, that's a good, I, you, you made me realize that bisexuals or people who identify as queer are kind of rule, rule breakers twice over, because you're not straight, so that's breaking the rules. And you're also not subscribing to this gay, straight binary, which is breaking the rules as yeah. well. It's like a commitment to the gray area, and I'm right. deeply into that um, as an adult. But but child Audrey was like, no, <laughs> there's black, there's white, there is no rainbow, there's nothing yeah. in between. So, um Yeah. Oh, and I was also, like, reading a thing lately, or recently, that was, like, um, like, bisexual women are considered straight, and bisexual men are considered gay, and it, like, that really, I mean, that, like, makes me angry, and also, like, it feels very true in terms of how society views these identities, and, like, this combination of, like, sexual identity and gender identity, and how there's kind of, like, a I don't know, this feeling that it, like, I feel like people want us to be all or nothing, and we're, we're not, so. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and it's always, it's always for men, you know? If you're a woman and you're bisexual, that means you're straight for men. If you're a man and bisexual, then you're gay for men. It's like, (laughs) why, why it gotta be men? (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Um, speaking of reading things, since we both have literary backgrounds, I guess, (laughs) I wanted to talk about books and comics and stories by queer authors. Do you have any memories of coming up and reading stories that you were like, oh, this is kind of, I mean, I guess one example would be the advice column in your bible those were queer stories but were were there any other stories that you read that you were like oh 
I, you know, I like, I was thinking about this question because I, you know, saw it when you sent it to me and I was, I was trying to think about it and I was like, the closest that I can think of, and this is going to sound goofy, but I promise it has, it has a point, is the closest I can think of is To Kill a Mockingbird. Like, I don't, I don't, I mean, obviously like Dill as Truman Capote, of course, like did end up being very gay, but like... For me, Scout Finch is, like, the ultimate queer icon for, like, you know, young me. And I um, definitely... So, uh, and part of that was because when I was in fourth grade, I, uh, my... So, Greensboro, North Carolina has a very active community theater that, for some reason, puts on The Wizard of Oz every single November and have for like has for like 25 years now um I was in it three times and then my mom was like you're not doing it again unless you're Dorothy and I didn't get Dorothy and so I didn't do it again and that was fine oh my god (laughs) that's a brutal take mom yeah she's she's big Virgo energy you know so (laughs) um anyway um so anyway uh the community theater put on a production of to Kill a Mockingbird, um, and my parents were like, you need to audition for this, and I was, I was 10, and I was, you know, this was probably around the time I came out to the aforementioned debutante, mm-hmm. and my parents were like, you need to, you need to audition for this, um, and just for the reference of listeners, I have and had, at the time, very short brown hair, um, and so I, I looked the part Um, and so I remember going to that audition and before that I had actually tried to check out the book from my elementary school's library. Um, and my elementary school also had a middle school and that's and the eighth graders read it every year. And the media center specialist was like, are do your parents know that you're reading this book? And I was like, yeah, they're making me try out for this play. (laughs) (laughs) So I remember like trying to read it before the audition and I got like halfway through the courtroom scene and I was like, God, this is the most boring book ever. I don't understand why my parents want me to try out for this so bad. And then I went to the audition and I remember the director, his name was Michael Campman. Um, he, he asked me, he was like, did you cut your hair for this audition? And I was like, no. I did not. This is just my hair. And I got the part, and I'm pretty sure it had a lot to do with the fact that I already had the hair. Nice. (laughs) Um, But anyway, so that just, that experience and, like, to see, I think it was really formative for me to see a, um, a character who was young and, um, had a really good relationship with her dad, which Mm -hmm. I do and did. Um, who, like, was gender non-conforming in a way um, and totally. got into a lot of trouble for doing things like not wearing a camisole and, like, running around in overalls. Um, people just, like, kept saying she needed a mother. I mean, like, that was not the case for me. My mother was very much present and still is, and I love her. Um, and, um, <laughs> yeah, so to see that character and then to, like, be that character on stage like I just felt so much of a connection with her but I think the really important part was seeing that she grew up in the end and like became like 
a fully fledged human adult. Um, I think right. so often stories about queer people end in some kind of tragedy and like, um, you know, I can't, obviously I can't really make a full argument that Scout Finch, sweet Jean Louise was queer, <laughs> but, um, but to see that like this person who broke the rules grew up and became a narrator of a book, you know, um, <laughs> was just like cool to see. Um, yeah. So cool. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. I uh, I never thought of Scout as a queer character, but she challenges gender, especially like considering where the book is set and when the book is set. So mm-hmm. It's really interesting. Alabama. Um, <laughs> Rose, did you have any books that you read growing up that you were kind of like, this is this is kind of queer. Um, I don't think. Like, I truly don't think that, like, queer stuff was on my radar. Mm -hmm. But looking back, I, my favorite, favorite book as a kid, and I still think it's an excellent book, was The Golden Compass. Mm -hmm. Totally. And I think Lyra's queer in the same way that Scout is queer in that she is very, like, uh, I don't give a fuck if I'm a lady and I'm supposed to be doing this shit. I am capable to do these things and I am going to do them regardless of what your like standards and laws say. Right. Um, and it's obviously set in like a, a, a world where it's very puritanical. Mm. So now looking back at that, I'm like, oh, I think I had a lot of like, oh, I think I want to like be best friends with Lyra and like I want to be her but now I'm like I probably at the time was like if we were alone together we could go on a lot of adventures yeah yeah did big adventures (laughs) did you watch the HBO series that they made of the um I watched a few episodes and then we kind of fell off my radar yeah but um it was better done better than the movie from uh, several years ago yeah yeah because that movie was garbage if that's your only exposure i mean i highly suggest that you read the book yeah above all but for my part i i went to catholic school and i think in in seventh grade we had to read a book called a separate piece do you guys ever read this book i've it's the Knowles book, right? Knowles? Like yeah, John, yeah, John Knowles. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about these two boys who are really close friends, but they're also rivals. And then one gets into an accident and he can't swim anymore. They were like swimming rivals. And it's just about, it's like a lot of them like wrestling and like, it's like a gay book. I'm sorry. It's like a super queer book. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember thinking that when I was reading, just like these boys touch a lot. And I'm not used to boys touching this much in the books that I read. It was interesting, man. I bet uh, but someone's written about this book as like a queer, a queer literary book. Yeah. That's what I'm like. I want to see if. Is Lyra, like, did Philip Pullman want Lyra to be gay? Probably. He's, he's still alive, right? 
I think so. You could just you could write him a little letter. Be like, tell me, I'm tell me get about him on the podcast. There you go. How spill the tea, how. Philip P. <laughs> Um, another book like from my, I don't know, adolescence, I guess that I didn't know was in any way queer until college was the diary of Anne Frank. I, um, had no idea that there were like, like in the definitive edition of the diary of Anne Frank, there's all the stuff that Otto Frank took out in order to protect his daughter um, and a lot of it is explicitly queer. She talks about like, like, like laying with her friends and being like, you arouse me in the same way men arouse me. And I think we should touch each other. Yeah, it's such a it's such a shame that with that book, which is taught to every elementary school student that we're not getting the full version where We've got Anne Frank interested in all sorts of genders instead of like I just feel like that would be such a an easy step to be like actually we're gonna read we're gonna read this other version because probably other people are gonna read through it and be like okay like she's I guess she's like kind of into her friend whatever but people who are queer are gonna be like do you guys see this <laughs> like <laughs> it's happening. Someone else feels the way that I feel and has articulated it. One of us. One. <laughs> but no, I mean, we only get the part where she's like nursing a, a silly crush on Peter. Why do I still remember all of these names? Whatever. Anyway, um, I'm impressed. <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, yeah, I remember thinking the name Meep was like really funny. Like Meep is the one who like hides them. I think. Um, and she she was in the the movie Freedom Riders, like because they the the students wanted to meet her after Hillary Swank made them read Anne Frank. Anyway, we don't have to talk about that movie, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I never saw it. Me neither. That's that's fine. It it it's very much like a a white savior teacher uh, movie. So yeah yeah, a lot of those. A lot of those. A lot of those. I, uh, did you guys ever read the Ramona Quimby books by yes. Beverly Yes. <laughs> we I, love Beverly. <laughs> I think there's a case for Ramona being kind of a queer, a queer character, perhaps. I know. There is no doubt in my mind that Ramona <laughs> Quimby is the queerest of characters. Yes. Throw Junie I B. Just, Jones in there, too. I bet she is, too. I never read Junie B. Jones, but. Oh, no, me neither. <clears throat> All right, wait. So I'm going to add this to my Google list. Ramona Quimby gay. <laughs> <laughs> Ramona Quimby gay. Gay. <laughs> <laughs> I loved Ramona. I, I thought she was, like, so fun and funny, and I was kind of a little shit just like her. I can't and imagine also, that at all. and also it was like set in oregon and i was like oh shit this is this is familiar and she had an older sister and her older sister was really bossy and i was like my older brother is really bossy yeah was her name it was it was beatrice but she called her beatrix 
I yeah. I shouldn't do you remember this? I remember every detail about these books. That one she has like Ramona has that one friend whose curls she always wants to pull because they're very springy yeah. and she calls them boing boing curls. Yeah, dude. Yeah. I also remember her uh naming an animal Chevrolet and you know, because I was reading this as a small child who didn't necessarily know how to pronounce things, I thought that this cat, I think, was named Chevrolet. And I was like, that's kind of a, that's kind of a ugly name. <laughs> Chevrolet. Chevrolet. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, Chevrolet. Yeah, she thought think... the name Chevrolet was so beautiful, so she named her cat after <laughs> That's, I mean... We love that kind of love affair with language. This is really- <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. I re- distinctly remember. I feel like I most bonded with Ramona Quimby when she was embarrassed in public, like when she cracks the egg on her head to try and fit in with all of her friends. Mm-hmm. I was like, I am Ramona. <laughs> I am Spartacus. <laughs> Um. <laughs> Ramona was like the first uh, gay disaster character I think I ever <laughs> I ever read. Yeah, can we make a shirt that says the Ramonas instead of the Ramones and yeah. just has a bunch of Ramona Quimby's on it? Yes, please. And if you ever write a uh, memoir, Annie, which you totally should, um, <laughs> the last gay disaster. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. You're not a yeah. disaster, though. No. It would have to be the last queer disaster. It doesn't have the same ring as gay disaster, though, you know? Um, okay, is there any written work by queer authors or queer people that's super important to either of you? Oh, yes. And and why, I guess, why is it important? For sure. I think um, one of... Yeah, uh, I think one of the first queer text that was really important to me was um, and is Fun Home by Alison Bechtel. Mm-hmm. Um, I really adore that book for a lot of reasons. I think like it very much influenced my um, decision to pursue a degree in creative nonfiction um, because it's a very it's based in memoir and it is a memoir of course um but it's also very like essayistic in some of its inquiries in that it's like very intertextual it's like bringing in freud it's bringing in you know theory related to childhood development like um it's bringing in all sorts of stuff um but it's also based in memoir and so like this queer character slash author is like using other texts in order to shape and understand her experience um so i i really loved that and also i make comics occasionally i think my thesis is gonna um have like a visual component if if you know that ever happens cough cough covid (laughs) um but yeah so so that was that was really one of the the first really important queer texts to me um yeah yeah well, I'll just say mine for for the record was um, Oliver Sacks. Do you ever read Oliver Sacks's like no. articles? But essays? I knew you were into him, so yeah he he was this doctor who he was a neurologist who studied 
how people's brains work and traumatic brain injuries and Parkinson's disease. Um, and he was one of the first doctors in the U.S. to administer uh, the, like, awakening drug in the 70s that basically got people able to communicate again after being in this kind of vegetative state from Parkinson's disease. Uh, and I really liked his essays about, like, music and chemistry and, like, brain chemistry because he always wrote about his patients in, like, a very loving way. And then I read his memoir, and he was super gay. He was like a leather daddy. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> he has this story in his memoir about, uh, like, he used to go to the beach in San Francisco, like Muscle Beach, where all the gay dudes, like, pumped iron and just, like, flirt with dudes. And he started... He started, like, having one of the guys over to his house, and he would, like, give him massages on his back. But, like, neither of them would say explicitly that they were gay, but he would, like, oil this guy up and massage him. I just re I remember reading that and being like, oh, my God, I had no idea this, like, super well-respected doctor used to pick up dudes at the beach. Yeah, damn. Rose, I wanted to ask if there were any uh queer books that that you liked i think you heard the question but then you cut out but i don't know if you had an answer or not i did this um when i when i had come out and i kind of like you guys know i like didn't really come out that much i was kind of like when i went on a date with a woman and whoever i was talking to would either be like okay cool or they'd be like oh are you only dating women now like what's the deal um, I read Abby Jacobson's book. That's right. I might regret this. And in case anybody doesn't know, she's bisexual. Um, I think she, I think she says she's bisexual. She at least dated a woman and wrote this book right after she had gotten out of a serious relationship with a woman. And it's kind of about like first heartbreak and getting over your first real love and like, also, the first half of it is, like, I was into dudes, and suddenly I was like, well, I'm also kind of into women. Why am I not acting on this equally? It doesn't make any sense. Right. Um, yeah, and it happened at, like, the same – we were on, like, the same timeline. Like, she started going out with women when she was around 30, and I was, like, about to turn 30. Mm -hmm. um, and she just said a lot of, like – things that seem super obvious if you are queer identifying and interested in multiple genders uh but I had never heard somebody say before and especially not somebody who like I think is fucking hilarious um and I feel like not like oh me and Abby Jacobson would be great friends because we're so similar but like somebody who I'm like oh I could I could hang out with you in Brooklyn sometime. You would be like a person I might run into. So versus celebrities who are so like right up here. Yeah, like, she oh, seems you seem real. like a human to me. Yeah, relatable. Um, this is this is Abby from Broad City, right? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Cool. 
do you guys have any recommendations for people who are coming out of the closet or trying to reckon with their queer identity and kind of to help help them with that process i guess i guess abby jacobson's book would be a real good probably a real good uh read for someone in that situation yeah Yeah, i think oh good sorry that's okay i would say that one was a good a good like toe in the water Mm -hmm. because it's very much like oh this is a part of my story but this is like a love story and more importantly like a breakup story Mm -hmm. um versus i feel like a lot of specifically targeted queer literature is like like this will be so hard you're going to be struggling with this and like trying to figure things out and it can be very intimidating when you're like oh I'm still kind of like hey what's up like I don't know maybe um yeah this is kind of this is kind of the crux of queer literature is that it's often so tragic and it's not helpful if you're just like I'm gay I want to be happy I need to read a story about a gay person who is happy please yeah, it can be, like, quite terrifying. Yeah. Um, I was actually having a conversation with somebody about that recently. We had, like, a queer right night in Durham, North Carolina, which was pretty fun. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about, like, you know, what the prompt that this that the host gave us was, like, you know, write a story, write a queer story that is, like, the antithesis of queer tragic narrative. Um, and I, I don't know, I really appreciated that prompt because, yeah, so much of it does end in tragedy. I'd say one would be um, Aristotle and Dante discover the secrets of the universe, which is a really lovely young adult uh, novel. Um, and it's about two um, cis men, or two young cis men, um, one of whom comes out pretty quickly, knows knows that he is gay and Mm -hmm. the other well I'll let you find out what happens but um it's really interesting because it like it's a lot about their friendship and it was really cool to see like a a queer friendship on the page um because so much of it is focused on romance and like you know spoiler alert light I guess like there is some romance that happens but honestly like most of the book is about their friendship um which I think is really beautiful and kind of unexpected and different. Um, Another one that I thought of was um, Daisy Hernandez's A Cup of Water Under My Bed. Um, I love that memoir. It's, I don't know, I don't know if she would call it like a memoir or an essay collection because it's kind of, it's kind of on the borderline, I guess. But um, she's, She's a really interesting writer, and I actually got to talk to her because I got into uh, Miami of Ohio, which is, and, like, thought about going there, Um, Mm -hmm. and I had written in my application, like, oh, gosh, like, I really love Daisy Hernandez. That's part of the reason why I want to come to this school, and so we ended up talking on WhatsApp (laughs) um, while I was in Spain, and I was like, ah, this is so cool. (laughs) Anyway, so um, she's at the intersection of a lot of different identities because she's Colombian, Cuban, American. Um, she is bisexual. Um, she is multilingual. She is a badass. Um, I adore her and I adore that book um, because not only is it about like 
um, growing up and being in English language learner classrooms, which, you know, for me as a white teacher who often works with English language learners, it was really important for me personally to like read that um, experience from her perspective, um, just so that I could, you know, expand my capacity as an educator. Um, But yeah, so also, um, like not only is it that, but like she's also talking about coming out and coming out within, um, you know, a Latinx community and uh, two Latinx communities and um, specifically like her tias were like had a lot of questions about her bi identity, bi identity. Oh, <laughs> um, and yeah, and then also she uh, writes about her experience of realizing that her father practices santeria, um, and which was like that was really that was I think honestly that was the part that I related to the most because you know I mean my dad does not practice santeria, but my dad is a <laughs> deeply religious person and like. Um, you know, has some religious practices that I don't completely understand. And so obviously like Daisy Hernandez experienced that on a different level and in a different context, but it was really, I don't know, that was just like a really important book for me. Um, and another really important author to me is Melissa Phoebos. She's my favorite of all time. Um, I've never heard of her. Oh, what did she write? She's great. See, she has two books right now. She's coming up. She's coming out with a third one next year, I think, um, called Girlhood. But the ones she has now are Whip Smart, which is about how when she was 21, she was in school at the New School in New York and was mm-hmm. also a professional dominatrix. Um, and that book is hella queer and hella kinky and just, like, um, really, I don't know, really interesting because not only is she, like, um, working as a dominatrix and kind of navigating that world. She's also st- struggling with um, addiction to heroin. And um, Melissa Fibos is like very open about her um, experience as an addict and her experience of recovery. Um, anyway, she has this other book that I adore called Abandon Me, um, which is a collection of essays. Um, she It's like Abandon Me memoirs, plural. So um, take that as you will. But it's a really lovely book that's um, about, it's about a lot of different things. Um, her experience growing up, her father um, is a sea captain. Well, the the man, so she calls him father, like my father. Um, she also has a father who is her bio dad, um, who is not somebody that she has like as much of a relationship with. Um, and so like there's that family dynamic but also Mm -hmm. it's her um experience of being in a I'm not she never calls it abusive but I would argue that it is an abusive lesbian relationship Mm -hmm. um yeah so anyway I adore Abandon Me I adore Melissa Phoebos and if COVID doesn't cancel July I will be working with her for a week this summer (laughs) at the Tin House Summer Writing Workshop (laughs) That's so exciting. That is so exciting. Oh, you have to update us and let us know how that goes. Hopefully it doesn't get canceled or it happens digitally or it happens in some form because that sounds so cool. I just want to plug really quickly a queer queer book that I love called On a Sunbeam by Tilly Walden. Um, It's a graphic novel that I bought for Rose for Christmas 
Did you read I'm it? I'm like Rose? 25 pages in. Okay. I haven't read it. Um, if you need a. But my therapist is assigning me a lot of reading. I so. know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's really light read. It's very sweet. It's very romantic. It has a happy ending, spoiler alert. And it has no men in it. It's like got a full cast of characters and in this universe men don't exist <laughs> so if you need that even if you are a man i think it's uh i think there are a lot of stories that happen in universes where only men exist and this is one of the very few books that i've ever read where only women exist so it's it's sweet and uh you'll finish it and feel like really good about shit which is Maybe it's what I need right now. Maybe what you need right now. Yeah, maybe that'll get the replacement from the book that I am currently assigned. You'll have to explain yourself this to Josephine. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'll call her up and be like, I'm so sorry Rose didn't do her homework. It's my fault. Who's Josephine? (laughs) Is that your therapist? Yeah, Josephine's my therapist. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I was saying, I started... Sorry, the feedback that I now hear in the monitor is like it gets into my brain so hard um I did start reading it and within the first like 10 pages there's like introductions and someone's just like oh this is whoever they use they them Mm -hmm. and I was like oh that's when was this book published like four years ago it's not that old it's pretty okay okay yeah yeah, because I was like, that's so cool. Yeah. And yeah. it's beautiful. Yeah, really beautiful. Like, as far as the story, I don't know yet. But the it's, graphics are lovely. It's science fiction. It, like, checks every Annie box. It's a graphic novel. It's science fiction. It's super queer. The illustration is beautiful. I don't know. It's, like, it's a great book. Oh, another yeah. one that I wanted to plug that's, like, hella queer, in addition to being about other things, Um is Roxane Gay's memoir, Hunger. Oh my God, that book. I mean, I'm still shook and I read that book like three years ago. Like, damn. Um, she covers so much ground. I mean, she talks about, I mean, it's, she, it's called Hunger, a memoir of my body, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And um, basically she's talking about her experience of being a fat person in the world of being a fat black queer woman in the world um she writes about relationships with men and with women and like you know some of them involve violence and trauma and some of them are some of the relationships are really like lovely and fulfilling and yeah I don't know it's it's a really it's a really great book and that and like the Phoebos books that I mentioned it's not like there's a coming out moment. Like, it's not like that's the focus. And I think so much of queer literature is like, it's centered either on the coming out or on the tragedy. And I really appreciate queer stories that are not about those things. Um, right. And that's what I, I mean, when I write my own queer stories, like that's something that I aspire to is like not really focusing on the things that we're expected to focus on um, and just like focusing on like all the other wonderful life things that or, and not so wonderful life things that happen to queer folk, not necessarily by virtue of them being queer, just by virtue of them being people in this 
in this world we inhabit. I don't know. Totally. Yeah. That's a great, that's a great point. Yeah. Okay. We got to wrap this up because we've been talking for a minute. Any, any, anything that we didn't get to talk about that you guys want to say about, you know, queer literature or stories or. I would like to know, cause I feel like I have seen a trend in like YA that has, usually just gay or lesbian couples and I would say more gay couples have you noticed any trends of queer stories in any certain genres or that are covering different topics in different ways yeah I've noticed more like queer poetry lately and and that a lot of that has to do with me like I don't know kind of resisting poetry for a lot of my life but also inexplicably falling in love with uh, slam poets whatever <laughs> anyways so, but um one poet that I'm like really obsessed with right now is Dana Smith they are I believe they identify as non-binary or gender fluid I will need to look but they for sure use they them pronouns but they're uh, assigned male at birth and um also identify as, as gay I need to like look at that for sure because I want to make sure I'm using the right words for them but they are a fantastic poet um, and have some, like, uh, the Homie just came out, um, and then the other one is Don't Call Us Dead. Um, that's one that I have over on my bookshelf. Um, yeah, I just, I really appreciate their work, and I actually was in a, a Zoom reading where they, where they read, and it was, oh, God, it was fire. It was so, it was so good. Um, so cool. I just, like, freaked out the whole time. Um, but I also, I mean, I think, like, it's worth saying that nonfiction, this genre that I'm obsessed with and that I'm, um, like, that I care about enough to study it for, for two years and get a graduate degree, I feel like it is the queerest genre. Like, it is, um, it's, it's a genre that hasn't been, like, creative nonfiction hasn't really been afforded a history in the same way that fiction and poetry have, even though you know, some people, a.k.a. John DeGata, trace, like, the history of creative nonfiction all the way back to, like, Seneca, you know? Um, But people don't talk about this genre that's kind of a blend of poetry and fiction and uses Mm -hmm. elements of both and also is something else entirely. And I feel like a lot of queer writers are drawn to nonfiction and, you know, I can't, I can't say I don't understand that because it is a queer genre that like is I don't know it's 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 a between genre it's a between and something else genre it embraces the gray area that we like mentioned before where it's like this isn't entirely this isn't entirely like factual but it is truthful but it uses elements of scene and fiction and like characterization and yet it is telling us something that like I could look this up and it might be Factual. I mean, I think it, it is no it is no accident that like so many prominent nonfiction writers are and were queer. Like, I mean, right now in my true crime class, I'm reading Truman Capote's In Cold Blood, which is like a deeply queer book. In addition to being harrowing and disturbing on so many levels, um, and and even like queer identity is used in some harrowing and disturbing ways in that context. But like, this is a queer author writing about an arguably 
queer murderer and you know let's not end up as murderers but i (laughs) but i do think let's not it's cool that we're that like this genre is just like very much in that liminal space oh audrey you just blew my mind creative nonfiction is like inherently queer yeah that's why i'm obsessed with it (laughs) it's like no i'm not a fiction writer no i'm not a poet I write creative nonfiction. And like my favorite response to that, by which I mean my least favorite response to that, was when people are like, when like the liberals are like, oh, so does that mean you want to work for Fox News? And then the conservatives are like, so does that mean you want to work for CNN? And I'm like, no, that's not what this is about. This is not alternative. I want to work to write you better jokes. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So, anyway, now nah, I'm just trying to write queer shit. That's great. <laughs> Is there a place where people can read what you've written? Oh, actually, yes. There are two places where you can read short things by me. Um, one is Hippocampus Magazine. Um, that essay is called Tough Titties. It's about my experience of being a formerly large-breasted human who then got a breast reduction um and then there's also a magazine that I definitely want to plug for like any queer writers who are listening and want a place to submit it's called Nat Brute that's N-A-T period B-R-U-T um I have a piece in there it's called Impact it's about my experience well it's about part of my experience in a uh an abusive same-sex relationship um but Nat Brute is a really wonderful um, online literary magazine that's embracing um, accessibility in all of its forms. For example, like that piece that I have, Impact, they had um, a voice actor uh, like read that and record it. And so you can like listen to it and you can read it, um, which I think is really cool. And they do a lot of like folios. The two people who run it are both queer women of color who are getting married and they're total badasses and I love them and yeah they're queer southern women who are in love and they have like a really cute new house and yeah anyway submit to Nat Brute love them hell yeah (laughs) that's such a good recommendation I also wanted to shout out Audrey mentioned um uh and when she was talking about dating in college she mentioned a place called studio 13 which was the local lgbt nightclub in the college town in iowa city uh where we both went to school and it is such a important place to me i didn't realize it until i started thinking about this i heard that they are um they're really struggling financially right now. I think they kind of always were because gay nightlife is kind of not what it used to be. People are kind of finding each other online now uh, more than at gay bars. Uh, so they're obviously closed right now. They're not making any money. They are relying on people's support. Um, but the idea of it not existing anymore is so terrible <laughs> to me. Because, you know, it was where we went to, you know, chat people up, 
dance, do drag. Um, it was... There were kings and queens, which is yeah. so rare. Like, rare. Where else can you find drag kings? Like, they're <laughs> nowhere. Like, where is RuPaul's drag king race? Like, wh- what? Anyway, that's a whole other thing. But you also might know Studio 13 listeners if you watch RuPaul's Drag Race because Sasha Bell of the Nude Illusion Challenge who said that she did not understand the assignment is a Studio 13 queen. There's a whole Bell family that, like, is Studio 13 drag. Um, So if you like RuPaul's Drag Race as much as I do, (laughs) then you you might enjoy Studio 13. Yeah. Um, also, have y'all yeah. talked about Lex, the dating app? This is not like an Iowa City thing, but okay. yes, cool. yeah, 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 yeah. We've I think we talked about it in an episode. Okay. Yeah. I yeah. Think when it came when out. It came out. Yeah. Love them. Love. Yeah. Love them. <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, the point is, I I wanted to say, if you're in a position to financially support the gay hangout of wherever you live, think about them. Think about how great they are and maybe throw a few bucks their way because those are important spaces good call good call all right any anything else we want to mention in this episode corvallis has no gay bar i'm mad about it have you been to um what's the port the famous portland gay bar where darcel does drag that i don't know but there's one named spectrum in eugene that i've wanted to go to for a while so people are like oh you should just go to eugene and go to a gay bar there and i'm like okay but like let's think about that for a second i have a car so that's great but like if i drink at the gay bar then i can't drive back and that like puts a lot of pressure on me to find somebody to go home (laughs) with you really gotta bang for board at that point yeah i have been dating a woman virtually like that i met on lex um Mm -hmm. that's been a really interesting experience if you will (laughs) quarantine dating quarantine dating quarantine yes Uh, yeah it's very that i'm really into her i don't know i don't know what she's thinking about me but I've been thinking about her. Ooh, nah, nah, nah. Do you want to leave this in and just send her the episode? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a great idea. Um, like with a timestamp. <laughs> just go to there and then you will understand my feelings about you. Ooh, nah, nah, nah. Have you all done like video stuff? Not like sex, like <laughs> video dates. If you have, that's great too. No, no sex judgment. I've not done the sex stuff which is fine but we have um we have done like the the video chat or like we did like a a zoom hangout one time which is like really weird to like share uh a space with like that's the 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 virtual space that I have my classes in so that's been really weird but whatever um we also use like the Facebook um video chat but mostly we've been doing this thing where we like are on video chat but we start a movie at the same time or using Netflix Party. Um, although some of the movies we wanted to watch were not on Netflix, such as, oh my god, I can't believe we didn't talk about this, but I'm a cheerleader. Uh, um, yeah. Which Annie uh, made me watch 
and I was so grateful, and I still am, and um, when I asked this uh, lovely person who I'm maybe seeing uh, to watch a movie with me, I was like, do you want to watch, but I'm a cheerleader, and she was like, I've never seen that, and I was like, oh shit, so that was a fun time. That's great, what a great movie. I've also never seen it. It's real good, like, RuPaul is in it. (laughs) And that's how you know it's good. You know, it's good. (laughs) Kind of like Asia the Queen, or Aja, Aja the Queen. What is, what is this, that show that went for one season really recently that had RuPaul, starred RuPaul, and it was about a drag queen? I haven't, I haven't seen it, but it looked real bad, and it got canceled, so I guess it was real bad. (laughs) I do know about that because my old roommate did all of the art for it. Oh, cool. So, like, fakes of real famous artists? And then in it, whoever the main character is, or somebody is like an artist, and my old roommate did all of the sketches for it. Whoa, that's so cool. I keep coming up with weird little like drag names, like for queens. I wish I could be this good at coming up with king names, but I'm super not. Um, I came up with a literary one that I'm not <laughs> sure I can like pronounce exactly correctly, but you know how they're like, oh, <laughs> you know, like the ochre. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't it be really funny yeah. if there was a literary drag queen named Flannery O'Kerner? <laughs> yeah. Also, Georgia O'Queef. Um, thank you. Yep. Thank you. And Perdona May. <laughs> we love okay. that place. We gotta go. We gotta go. We've been time for two hours. Should we do our sign off? Goodbye from, from the, the Goodbye. goodbye. That did not work. (laughs) It never does. (laughs) This podcast is based exclusively on the real-life experiences of two bisexual cis women and their internet research. Sexual identity is deeply personal and influenced by intersecting identities, demographics, and circumstances. Rose and Annie do not speak for the bisexual experience of all individuals or the bisexual experience as a whole. In short, they don't know shit. Thanks for listening.